What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. It's your favorite ex-NFLer turned yogi, Eben Britton, here. It's excellent to be with you on this magnificent day. I hope this finds you standing in your truth, living in your highest greatness for the greatest good of the universe. The world needs you. Doing things a little bit differently today. This episode is brought to you by Wake wake mushrooms if you're looking for fantastic fungi look no further than wake.net they have some fantastic products lion's mane reishi cordyceps turkey tail comprehensive health blend these adaptogenic medicinal mushrooms have so many benefits from cognitive function to breath support oxygen uptake Great for your immune system. Great for your digestive system. Overall, they are powerful superfoods. I highly recommend them. I use them every day. Put them in my coffee. Sprinkle them on food. Eat them at every turn I possibly can. These products in particular come in capsule form, which is fantastic. Sometimes, yes, I take the capsules apart and sprinkle it into my coffee which is a really nice way to take it. I highly recommend it. If you're down and you want to try some, head over to wake.net. Use code EBBINFLOW for 10% off and free shipping on your next order. And that's about it, y'all. Uh, to support me in this podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. But now you can also head over to Patreon patreon.com forward slash eds britain become a member there's a there's two tiers you get bonus ebb and flow content uh, for five bucks a month you get access to the ebb and flow plus which will give you one bonus episode of this podcast every week and a whole lot more you'll get video and written updates of everything i'm working on exclusive breath work, meditation, workout, yoga flow content. It's a lot of fun. I'm also in the midst of publishing my first book, The Ebb and Flow, Basic Tools to Transform Your Life. You'll get information on that as well. And that's about it, folks. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. This is a deep dive into one of my favorite books I read this year, Empire of the Summer Moon, the story of Quanta Parker, the rise and fall of the Comanche Indians, the most powerful tribe in American history. It's fantastic. Lots of love to you guys. Have a great rest of your day. Please enjoy. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination, your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. The gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux. Only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come. Testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow.
Gus, here we are, brother. Hello. It's another beautiful day to be alive. We're back in the lab. Back in the lab. We're in the grindhouse. Let's go. <laughs> Love we got, it. We got our nitro juiced up. It's another day in paradise. Mm. It is looking outside. Got a guy with a mask on smoking a cigarette. Really? Yeah, it was good. Are you looking at that right now? I just saw him what walk an interesting by. move. <laughs> it's an awesome move. Here we are, brother. It's 2021. I love that. Pull out all the stops. <laughs> I love that. We're in the Kali Yuga. You should just cut a hole through the mask yeah, and put yeah. cigarettes in. <laughs> just stick two cigarettes in each nostril. Stick a cigarette in each nostril. Yeah. That's That'll be perfect. That's genius. That'll be, that's exactly what you need right there. Oh, God. All right, brother. Well, what are we doing here today, man? It's so good. We got a lot of good shit going down. You taking that nitri- take... nitratine blue? <laughs> Eb's going to be sleeping soon. <laughs> soon. <laughs> this fucking you guy. You want a piece of this? Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something here. Let me. Let me... This guy, if you, you think this dude doesn't live what he says on his shit... <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised I don't come home and he's sleeping on his head, you know, or I come over for the pot. One day, dude, I'm going to get the fucking gravity boots. I mean, he's so juiced up on different, <laughs> different uh, holistic medicines, you know, it's amazing. You really, how did you, is it, is it like, cause football, you had like the terrible medicines. Yeah. And then was it like, oh, well, I still need medicine, but I'm not going to take the junk. So how do I get as homeopathic as possible? Mm. It's a great pl- it's a great question, dude. I love that question. It back when we were kids as as far back as I can remember, as far back as at least as far back as I began to really fall in love with the warrior way of being which i guess coincided with my football career i was always super interested and curious about plant medicine and shamanic practices and the natural herbal remedies of the world the mystical medicines of the world, you know? Uh-huh. And um, I've talked about it on some podcasts before. I get, you know, one of the first introductions I had to it was through that movie, Altered States. Mm. John, what's William that guy's Hurt. John, William, but wh- the guy who it's based off of, John Lilly. Is that what it's based on? Well, Ramdas talks about going to visit the guy. It's a real guy who who... Also trained, he had dolphins with his wife. Yeah, it's funny you bring up John Lilly because that, I just talked about him with Phil Demers on the podcast last week. That's who that movie's about. Really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because John Lilly invented or came up, innovated the float tanks. Yes. And in altered states, he goes to Mexico, has this profound experience with peyote. Uh-huh. brings a bunch back to New York because he's this professor right. and starts experimenting with taking the peyote and getting in the float tank and he devolves into this. Into an ape. 
Yeah. <laughs> I remember Dad showed us that movie like really young. Oh my remember god! Remember, Mama? Terrifying. Mama, our grandmother. Remember, <laughs> she was all freaked out because there's a sex scene. Yeah, there's a, there's the wild peyote sex scene. He's like, he's having sex with this woman on the cross, and he's like in the he's just blasting out into the fucking oh ether. But so I always had that curiosity. It's what drew me into cannabis. I was always interested in traditional Chinese medicine and the ginsengs and the mushrooms and the green teas and all that stuff. And it was interesting, man. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. But my last year in Jacksonville, Uh I was going to this gym that was down the street from our crib in Ponte Vedra. And this little dude, this little super wiry, lean, strong as shit. You could tell he was strong as hell. Like, looked like he was made out of twisted steel. Always had a a twinkle in his eye. And kind of was the mayor of the gym. (laughs) And he just started, he came up to me one day. He's like, brother, you're always climbing mountains. Uh (laughs) Because I'd hit the Stairmaster for about an hour every day. And I'd just be soaking. I'd be soaking through a sweat. And he'd yeah. come up and he'd come, he'd start talking to me. And we started talking more and more. And he's like, Evan, you ever tried chaga mushroom? I'm like, chaga mushroom? No, I haven't. Huh. What's that? He's like, well, I got some tea for you. I'm going to bring it to you next time I see you. And he's from the backwoods of Alabama, my dude Tim. And he really became my witch doctor mentor yeah, yeah. and he turned me on to all of these mushrooms yeah. and all of this shit that's when you start you had the elk ant, the elk antler yeah the elk antler and the fucking he would get colostrum uh which you can read about it's he was so far before the he was yeah, so yeah. far ahead of the curve right like all of the shit that he told me about literally started becoming super trendy and popular like three years later interesting and he turned me on to all of it. The lion's mane, the chaga, the cordyceps. There goes Luna. Um, and then, you know, that just sparked my... That just lit the fire of seeking out the knowledge, man. Of gaining... Of understanding all of these... These natural medicines. Whatever it might be. Now, this thing that Gus is talking about. Hold on, I'm just going to pause and... Um, had to had to let Luna quiet down. But so the thing I just took, it's methylene blue, which I got from Dr. Ted Achacoso. These are called Troscriptions. I should have a sponsorship deal with them. That that email is lingering because I do everything by myself here. Um, and it would be helpful. But if anybody listening out there, I might have the guy already. I might be in communication with him and I might be jumping the gun on this, but... I really need someone, I need an assistant who can aid me in the dealing with emails, booking guests, outreach, dealing with sponsors, etc. So if you're out there listening and you want that job, perhaps I might already have the guy, but just in case. So that's methylene blue. That lights up your neurons. And like you said, man, in football, I was in an immense amount of pain. 
I'm still in pain. I've had a lot of brain damage. A lot of concussions. A lot of sub-concussive hits. I need to give myself the best opportunity possible to be at my best. Yeah. When was the first time you smoked weed? I was... Must have been 14 or 15. Uh Uh-huh. And... It was a good experience. It was a fun experience. I think I ate like 10 pounds of Carl's Jr. that day. (laughs) (laughs) It was after the football season. Um, And then I did it again like a little while after that. And it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And didn't really smoke again until college. Um no, I was probably a little older than that. I was probably like 16 or 17, mm-hmm. first time I tried it. Um, but yeah, Gus, thank you for that sweet that background deep dive. Well, that takes us into, because I don't know if you connected that there. I connected it. You said you became interested in the warrior uh, mentality, the warrior essence, the warrior life, the you know, all the implications of that, and you want to talk about this book. Yes. This book, Empire of the Summer Moon, Quanta Parker and the Rise and Fall of the Comanches, the most powerful Indian tribe in American history. This book, I saw it, it came into my view a number of times Joe Rogan has posted about it a bunch. Someone else I know posted about it. And then I was in Barnes and Noble and it was on the shelf just looking at me and I said, I gotta check this book out. Oh, well, that's funny. And it really it's so important for right now, weirdly. Mm. mm. It's so timely and it's so mind blowing in regards to a number of issues that our culture is is going through shifts, transformation that that are that are that we're in the midst of right now. It's violent, it's devastating, it's heartbreaking. It's incredibly beautiful. It's dense. As dense a book as this is, like, I don't think I've ever read a book like this. I couldn't uh-huh. put it down, though. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those books. Yeah. Um, and it was not really what I expected. The Comanche warriors, the Comanches were... Like it says, the most powerful Indian tribe in American history. And they were really, if you want to put an analogy to who they were, they were the Spartan warriors of North America. And they had driven out the Spanish. They they resided in the American Southwest from Texas through to New Mexico, down into the northern uh, northern part of Mexico, a little bit into Arizona, I believe, and Oklahoma. 
they they ruled this massive territory where they hunted buffalo. They were a nomadic tribe. They were incredible horsemen. They were master horsemen, which in the book, he doesn't go into a ton of detail. He just kind of mentions it. But there was a shift that happened when the Comanches, the Comanches were nothing really to speak about until they connected the dots with getting the horses. Mm -hmm. And they just intuitively knew how to breed horses knew how to fight on horses, knew how to hunt on horses. And because of that, he likens them coming into contact and gaining the tool of the horse to a city all of a sudden getting electricity. It was like fucking, they just skyrocketed in their power and force and ability. Yeah. As a as a tribe, as a group of people. And not all the native tribes did that. Yeah. Which was not the best idea in terms of staying safe. Because the Comanches, by some grace, like you said, vibed with the horse. And there were many tribes around them that had nothing to do with the horse. And they were basically fucked. Yeah. I mean, if you came in contact with the Comanches, you were done. Yeah, the... <laughs> I want to I want to give a shout out to the author S.C. Gwynn. Yeah. His name is. It's a brilliant book. You know what I would if I if I had one word for this book on a billboard, humbling. Mm. Yeah, just definitely. a big, a big quote, humbling. This book, you think you have you? I, let me speak. I think I have problems. I think things are challenging. Oh yeah. I think things are dangerous. You read this book and you realize that it's it's not even it's it's a different world. It's a completely different world. Um absolutely. So, completely humbling. Yeah. Mind-blowing in obliterating the amount of comfort that we live in. Hold on. I need to all right, we're back again. More dog. You know, the dog, you know, we got to appreciate the dog cuz the dog is doing exactly what she knows to do. Yes. She's protecting the house. Exactly. So, you know, we're going to get upset at the dog for barking. We just had to change the scenario. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> we're back in the lab. <laughs> I put her in the other room. You know, this book to me is relevant, Eb. So relevant. It's relevant in that all of the, you know, you and I have been talking a lot about victimhood lately. Mm, mm-hmm. This victim mentality and how strong a drug it is to be a victim. And victims love being around other victims. It's their favorite thing to do. Yeah. And I'm not talking about, the, the, you know, I want to I wanna be um uh conscious here when we hear the word victim because it's there there's certain victims that i feel are justified but in terms of being like a spiritual or emotional victim not like a physical victim where you're where it's like you know the nebulous victim of like i don't have enough this or that or blah 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 Mm. um or the the fantastical sort of cultural meme of a victim of victimhood um 
Which is everything right now. Yeah, and this book to me, um, black, white, native, Asian, Spanish, whatever, there were no... Um, this book really showed to me how the struggle is across the board mm. and the beauty and the humanity is across the board. And it doesn't matter what race you are. Everybody struggled and died and were killed and were ravaged and were tortured to get us to this point today. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that whatever the cultural hierarchy is of this or that place is what it is. What are you looking at? I thought I had some notes on exact uh, on this book, but I, I don't know if I do. But you're exactly right, man. Because you, something you said triggered me thinking exactly those thoughts. Because what, I wrote this thing down, I wrote this thing down, or I thought of this thing as I was reading this, and, you know, pain, violence, bloodshed is life moving, it's, is how life moves its way towards peace and serenity. Mm. And exactly what you said because we're really given this the the culture our our industrial educational system paints this picture for us that the natives were just completely steamrolled and were these helpless victims. Oh no, this book does not show you that. Woo! These were some yeah. of the baddest motherfuckers the planet has ever seen. Yeah. On and t- they literally t- gave their lives again and again until finally... On two legs. Finally, they just realized that, you know, the U.S. military had to finally be called in because it, it was... There was just too much blood. But even then... Even I mean, then, yeah, even, even then, then. it took decades for that to even get figured out. I mean, so Quanah Parker, his mother was white. His mother was one of these settlers and that's really what's so striking about it because he really tells the story S.C. Gwynn really tells the story of what it was like as an early American settler infused with manifest destiny moving out into the Great Plains which was their territory these entire families, the Parker family in particular, there's a that his mother was was what was his mother's name? Cynthia Ann Parker. Yeah. And she was a little girl, nine years old, when her family they had a fort somewhere out in Texas, what what became Texas, out in the plains, and her whole entire family they were raided by Comanches, fucking decimated, the women raped and hatcheted, gang raped and hatcheted. Pregnant women, bellies shot with arrows. Yeah, 
pregnant women literally nailed to trees with arrows through their bodies. The men scalped and bludgeoned to death. And uh, limbs cut off, people burned alive, all the children taken as captives. Genitals cut off. Balls cut off, dicks cut off and stuffed in mouths. Yeah. The the, the amount of violence and brutality is overwhelming. It's fucking overwhelming. Yeah, it's profound. It's hard. It's Cynthia Ann was lucky and he talks about how for whatever reason the Comanches would literally adopt some children some children would be taken in and and treated as part of the family for whatever reason they got lucky they sort of found their way to a family you know there's a lot of stories of comanche women sort of taking some of the children and shielding them from the violence that was occurring with their with their family members Um, but cynthia ann's cousin who is another little girl was basically enslaved by another Comanche family and turned into their house uh, servant, was abused, beaten, burned, was pregnant, went in pregnant, so she was a little older, went in pregnant, gave birth to the child. The Comanches would not allow the child to, were, were really angry about the child being born, so they took it tied it to the back of a horse and dragged it through the cacti field until it basically fell apart in front of the mother. Yeah. So you start talking about who has been more brutalized throughout history. And it really just all starts to fall apart. The whole thing starts to fall apart. And, you know, the Comanches were... A very proud people. They were they were essentially pagan nature nature worshippers who had a very Spartan like warrior code of honor. When you took captives, part of the deal was you got to do whatever the fuck you wanted to them. You could enslave them, you could bring them into the family. You could beat them, torture them, cut their fucking noses off, burn them alive, do whatever you you would. That was part of the spoils of war. They were a war clan. Much of their culture revolved around war and violence. And so here we have these two cultures clashing because American settlers are coming out for this opportunity. Hey, the government says if you give up for two bucks... You can get 50 acres out in the Great Plains. It's unsettled territory, y'all. Go out there. Do it. Yeah. Expand the American dream. And these people would do it, and they'd go out there, and they had no idea what they were getting involved in. They'd build these huge forts or these little log cabins, whatever it was, and that would be right in the middle of Comanche buffalo hunting territory. And the Comanches just did not fuck around. They said, oh, you're in our territory, you're you're infringing upon our land and our hunting area, so we're going to fucking kill you, and we're going to do what we will. Yeah. Um, and it's profound, you know, it's profound to see that, and you break that all down, and it becomes this thing, you're like, wow, okay, so we've all been through, there's been like t- horrific 
violence and atrocities committed on all sides of humanity, right? And we love to in our in our current culture, and I guess it's another layer of the the victim mind state. But we love to create this this dialogue or this discussion around who's suffered more, mm. who's done more, who's gotten the the fucking worst end of the stick, you know, who's fucked up, who's the bigger victim, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when you pull back the lens, that's kind of what, you know, this book really did for me. It was like, wow, there's been an immense amount of pain felt by every single group of people on this planet, you know? And that really is the pain, the blood, the violence is all life. This this magnificent giant thing called that we call life working itself out on its way to peace and serenity. Yeah. Something Jeff Kober brings up a lot from the Vedas that is his, uh, I believe, you know, that's one of his main teaching uh, scriptures is that nature is only evolving. Nature's always evolving. So, and he talks about in meditation, even the stress you're feeling, that's nature evolving you to the more peaceful state. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, is that interesting? Yeah. I think that's so interesting. I don't know why that stuck out to me reading this book, you know, but that was something that just popped, came into my head. That exact thing of like the violence and the bloodshed, the violence and the chaos is all life's way of working itself out to a state of peace. Is it? And we still, we still, we still <laughs> manufacture it. Because now I'm thinking, isn't it interesting that we that we have football? Yeah. Because we yeah. have to manufacture that now. We have to manufacture the chaos, and we have to manufacture the drama, and the illusion. So now this is interesting. So we were talking about the Kali Yuga of the light and the dark coming together. And oh, then yeah. you said the next Yuga. So Yugas are like phases of time in the yogic chronology. I guess that's like a super simplified way to put it. And you yeah. said the next phase is love. So now it's yeah. like what we're doing is recognizing <laughs> that the illusion and the dramas don't work. Uh-huh. Because we've gotten so comfortable and so far away from something like Empire of the Summer Moon that we've we've now had to manufacture the drama. Mm. And then I think that creates this thing where we're able to recognize, oh, well, if we're able to manufacture it, that means it's not really real. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I also found it fascinating in this book how when the whites and the natives were fighting, they were fighting on different planes of reality. Uh-huh. How the the whites did could not, and this is partially, I think, what fueled the whites' rage or ability or energy to feel like they had to wipe out the natives is that they could not due to their protestant um their protestant 
engine behind them of this we're puritanical yes this kind of like rape is an out of the question like we do not get you if you're raping people they um saw how animal the primal primal and animal the natives seemed to them like for instance there's a there's a there's a piece in the book that's very powerful where one of the you know, this was nothing but failed peace treaties. Yeah. Because you're working with people that are literally speaking from different spiritual languages. Yeah. So the whites tried to do a peace treaty, and the Comanches, <laughs> and they say, the whites say, you need to give us those prisoners you have. The Comanches are like, okay, well, none of this even worked anyway. But they said, okay, we'll give you the, we'll give you our our captives back. Fine. They bring back one of the women. She has no nose. Yeah. She's completely burnt up. She's still alive somehow. Yeah. And they and the Comanches think this think nothing of it. Yeah. They're like, "Oh, okay, here you go. Here's here's your uh, your old wife. Here's one of the prisoners and that the you've rangers been for." They're no, they're not rangers yet, but the whites look at it and they're like they're they horrified. kill they kill all the natives at the peace treaty. Yeah. They're like, "Fuck this." Send some of them back. Send some of them back to send the message. To send the message, you better release these prisoners. And, and then of they course, end up killing them. They kill all the prisoners because they lose their minds. They cut their hair out. They shoot a bunch of horses. They lose their minds over the fact that their brethren were just killed. It's far out. Yeah, it's mind-blowing. It's far out, Eb, thinking about how people can be on different planes of consciousness. And how that really ruptures the system of evolution a little bit doesn't it because mm. we could sit here and say that beautiful quote of everything everyone's doing the best they can at their own level of awareness whoa well that gets really challenging yeah <laughs> if you put somebody at a really low level of awareness in a room with somebody with a with a let's say a high level of awareness they might not even be able to speak to each other, which oh, we see sure. in our culture today. We're seeing that everywhere. Well, this is a this was an interesting this time period and this whole situation was a really interesting look at all of that because the natives and to your point, to go back to your point, you know, there were all these peace treaties happening, but the Comanches were all separated into various bands. There were different bands and sections of the tribe that all functioned independently. And they had war chiefs and peace chiefs and shamans, and there were all kind there was all kinds of hierarchy to their culture. And that being said, there wasn't like a guy who could go and negotiate a peace treaty, first of all. Second of all, they had no concept because the, 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 white, the white settlers would go, okay, you guys aren't going to go past this boundary and you're not going to go raid these people that live yeah. past this area. And yeah. they'd say, yeah, for sure. But they had no, there was like no, you know, there's no fucking lines. There's no right. street signs. There's yeah. no roads. You're out in this fucking, and back then, dude, I mean, it's amazing when he talks about, 
how the 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 U.S. soldiers and the Texas Rangers, the guys who were sort of green and wet behind the ears, who would go out there and they'd be the terrifying expanse of the Great Plains. Oh yeah, it was like looking out onto an ocean of land mm-hmm. with no end in sight, just mm-hmm. the horizon and nothing, yeah. just like tall grass for as far as the eye could fucking see. Yeah, and it would be this just hypnotic terror because you know there's this looming enemy who is superior who's a fucking juggernaut yeah because it took a long time it wasn't until this dude jack hayes came around who was a texas ranger and he he started fighting he he learned he was like why the fuck are we getting off our horses to fight these guys we got to fight, learn to fight on our horses. And then at the same time, the Smith & Wesson six-shooter was created. Either Smith & Wesson or Winchester. Well, they had the Colt first, the right? The Colt. It was the Colt first. The revolver. The Colt revolver was the first weapon that gave them an opportunity because Comanches would be on horseback firing fucking... Arrows. 25 <laughs> arrows in a minute. Yeah, yeah. And these guys had like muskets that yeah. they'd have one shot and Wasn't had to reload. Work. It couldn't, they, they, it was impossible. A lot of whites died. So the Colt revolver came about and that was kind of the first, that was the first weapon that gave the whites even a, a, a modicum of opportunity to defeat the Comanches in any, yeah. in any battle situation. Right. And then the repeating rifle came. And that's when the tide really changed. But that took a long time. That was fucking, you know, a hundred years, decades of of battling. Mm-hmm. The Comanches had driven out the Spanish. The Comanches had fucking kept the American settlers at bay for a really long time. Um, and finally, these things started to emerge that gave the whites an opportunity to start gaining some ground in this area. You know, it's a fascinating look. I mean, Quanta Parker is such an incredible, to me, his story was so fucking mind blowing because he was the son. His father was a great war chief. His mother who had fallen in love with this white captive girl who literally became so ingrained in the Comanche culture that people tried to come and bring her back and she refused. Right. She 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 stopped being able to speak English. Yeah, she couldn't really speak English anymore. Um and and finally they raided Kwana's band, killed his father, took his mother away and his little sister, and he hated white men. Yeah. And his whole like his whole life was about fucking seeking revenge on on the white man well until later until yeah later which is my it's just like it's so incredible to me so basically what happened was the government started offering the natives these these plots of land on reservations and they said look you put down your you need to put down your hunter culture and we've got a plot of land for you on these reservations. You could come, learn how to farm, learn agriculture. There will be resources for you there, which was all shit. 
because the the food they provided them with was all fucking rotten. It was all fucking, you know, alcohol and flour and sugar and just destroyed their whole way of being. They didn't like the meat. Um, and hunting buffalo was a massive part of their well-being, you know. And right. and something really interesting in there that struck me too was that he talks about how there was this shift that happened where they had been basically they had been completely emasculated, the Comanches, from their way of being. They had surrendered and started moving into the reservation life and and. Kwana was sort of one of the last mm. one of the last uh war chiefs to surrender to this and how he came to that was pretty amazing. But so they were so slowly but surely these bands of Comanches and other other tribes were surrendering to the the reservation way of life. And he talks about how they realized there was no more stories to tell of the hunts Mm. and their whole sense of life had totally changed and they they completely lost their identity right because they no longer had these stories to tell of the hunts and the battles and the raids and the war and all that shit right right so the younger generation was completely being disconnected from who they were right and their and their tradition um well, and and I say all of that because, you know, I don't I don't you know, obviously what happened to Native Americans in this country is an absolute tragedy and it's a complete disaster. The thing that's interesting to me and that sort of occurs to me throughout the book is that in the in the effort of creating civilization is it possible, would it have been possible to allow the natives to remain as they were and continue the spread of the West? No. Exactly. Zero. You know? It's not possible. And so when you when you get down to it, here we are in 2021 and we've got all of this around us, all of the city and life and infrastructure and say what you will about it yeah it's not all perfect but none of this would be possible without what happened there yeah yeah you know what's funny i want to i want to you know you bring up the word uh or you it makes me think of the word ritual and the lack of rituals we have in our culture and you know this book this book is is interesting because it made me equal parts want to live in that time period (laughs) and equal parts being really grateful. I live in this time period Yeah, because there's so much beauty in how connected to the land and nature they were and how, when they were connected to their rituals, how amazing that all sounds, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think about Terrence, Terrence McKenna's archaic revival feeling how it's like, What's the best of both worlds? I mean, I feel like in America, we are in a, we've been in a tragedy of lack of ritual. 
Mm. We've been in a tragedy of bad myths yeah. or dysfunctional myths, as Ramdas would put it. Mm. You know, our myths now, and hey, we we love them. We love them. Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween. <laughs> it's places for us to get together, but they're not exactly like vulnerable, deep myths where we can really liberate. Yeah. I mean, we try. We do our best. But, you know, and they're also kind of manufactured and like, and now they've just become commercially strange where it's like you're just buying shit, yeah. which is, you know, so that's, that's interesting to me. Um, well, we just completely, all of that would be fine and it would work great if we just had some sort of rite of passage. There's no rites of passage. Like, there's no transition from childhood or adolescence into adulthood. No. For men or women. And it literally drives us insane. So we spend all of our 20s mm -hmm. doing the things we thought adults did. The partying, the taking of the drugs, the drinking, the fucking f seeking out the partner's getting the jobs, doing all the shit, creating immense amounts of chaos in our life, only to figure out in our 30s that all of that was completely a lie and has nothing to do with being an adult right. or anything to do with finding happiness or, or, or fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So then we go through this process of deprogramming ourselves right. where we have to literally forget everything we've ever learned about ourselves and our life and the world around us only to start the reprogramming re-education process of who we actually are and what we're really supposed to be doing here on this planet in this lifetime right and all of that would we would be saved all of that agony pain and time if we had a fucking rite of passage if you had the point where, ready or not, you're 18 years old, you got to go into the fucking forest and live for a week, dude. Yeah. With nothing but a spear. Mm -hmm. And like have a, have a complete experience. Because really what that is, is when you read about the rites of passage and the, the coming of age rituals that are so ingrained in ancient tribal cultures is that it's so important because it's important for you to go out into the world and have an experience of your individuality completely separate from everything you grew up in. Mm -hmm. That's completely separate from your parents, your community, everything you've ever learned, your indoctrination as a human being, whatever that might be in our in our realm. That indoctrination is very deep and very skewed and very dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And so it's very it's vitally important for all of us to have a, a, an experience of God, an experience of nature, an experience of the universe and us and to see ourselves as an individual within that grand scheme of life mm -hmm. so that we can know what the fuck we're doing. Well, we, I mean, he, he, I mean, what is the tribe nowadays? What does the tribe even mean? It's your you Facebook know? group. Right. Yeah. Well, the digital <laughs> tribe. That's the digital tribe. No, no, you know, I know. He, I'm, he I'm gives, being an asshole. He, S.C. Gwynn in the book, he gives a really 
amazing. It's not super long, but he gives you the trajectory of from boyhood to manhood, from girlhood to womanhood. By nine years old, the boy, I mean, I could be uh, messing this up a little bit, but basically by, by like nine years old, the boy is riding the fucking horse bareback, shooting arrows. Yeah. The males are warriors, getting the food, building, you know, building things. And I'm not saying this translates perfectly today. Obviously, it doesn't. You can't hunt shit today. I mean, you can, but it's, uh, I don't, you got to, that's Go a out. whole other thing. Yeah. The women, the girls are, are skinning the buffalo, yeah. doing, the, you know, that, that was, that seemed like their primary They job. literally, the women literally did everything. Total badass. They set up the, they set up the fucking Total, community, yeah. the, t- the teepees. Fucking the, hardcore, dude. The whole, clean the buffalo, dried the meat skinned the you know skinned the animals hardcore yeah hey i was thinking we had talked about this a while ago but in terms of robert bly who's a beautiful mythologist and writer about uh masculinity and femininity Mm. he said that you know the closest thing of a um a transition to adulthood the women have it and we I, i said this a while ago women have it because women get their period so they have this physical manifestation of, oh, now I'm a woman because I got my period. Right. Yes, you could say, well, boys go through puberty too. But to me, it's much more nebulous. Yeah. It's much more abstract for boys. So maybe that's why boys get into sports much more. Mm-hmm. And it's also why they get into gangs. Yeah. Because they need that tribe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the answer to this is, Eb. Or they join the military. Um, how do we even, how, you know, how do we cultivate these rituals nowadays? Sports is one way. Not everybody plays sports though. Blow up your TV. Yeah. Blow up your TV. Kill Kill your your cell cell phone. phone. Shirts are on the way. (laughs) Let's go. Blow up your TV. Kill your cell phone. Start there. Fuck it. Um, Immerse yourself in difficult things, whether that's making sure you get a really hard workout in a few times a week Uh or doing breath work and really putting yourself through some some difficult challenges. I think challenging yourself is maybe the most important thing. Like, I can't tell you, Gus, how powerful and transformative that trip to Montana was. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Literally driving through two snowstorms. Yeah. Thinking I was going to die was maybe the most one of the most powerful experiences of my life. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. And I'm not saying you have to go do something insanely dangerous. That was not part of the plan by any means, but it just so happened to mm-hmm. be the the thing that unfolded before me for whatever reason. That's beautiful. Um, you know, I don't know where do we begin in a in a in a civilized world. I don't know. Drugs are a good place too. Plant medicine, psychedelics. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's when you turn a certain age, you do a ceremony, and and maybe that's what happens, dude. This all has to be completely decentralized and completely deconstructed. Mm-hmm. 
What does? Our whole idea of society and community. Oh, yeah. So fuck the going to college. Fuck the getting the job. Fuck all that until you yourself as an on so on an individual level we have to start going okay i when i turn 18 or i turn 21 or whatever the date is you want to set up you have to do a cer- do some sort of ceremony do a ceremony establish this thing step through the portal from adolescence into adulthood what is it you know you're letting go of shit fucking do a fire Burn, write out shit that you want to let go of. Burn it. Do some sort of ceremony. We have to get back to that because we're literally like, what is, what's the ceremony now, dude? Well, we are. I know. No, we I are. Know. We, I you see know, it. You can see it. It's, dude, it's happening of its own accord because you can only have so much digital. Mm-hmm. Th- there's going to there's gonna be a rift. There's going to be a shift Where there's going to be fully digital people and there's going to be people that aren't aren't interested in buying into it fully. Yeah. You know, there's people that for whatever reason and you talk about you've been you've said some stuff, I feel like in this vein with right use of will, there's going to be people that aren't that that keep their connection. I mean, Terrence's archaic revival is happening before our eyes. Why yeah. do we think it's no, it's no uh, mistake that cannabis is as prevalent as it is now? Yeah. The goddess, the nature goddess of cannabis has shown up. Yeah. She's like, okay, I'm here. Smoke me. <laughs> Let me show you Smoke what it's it. about. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. And some people die. And, and is it not a process, Eb? I mean, this is this is we're really wrapping through wrapping through the forest here. But, you know, like the Krishnamurti, I'm really on this thing now, Eb, of like. Because I hear some teachers say you're there already. There's uh-huh. no process to be had. Yeah, I do not really. Vi- I, I understand the sentiment, but there's a process exactly what you had just said of reprogramming. Yeah. That yeah. fucking reprogramming is going to take some time. Yeah. Well, that has to happen in this world that we're mm, in. That's interesting. You know, that has to take place in this world. It's great. Yeah. Let's let's understand that it's all here already within us. Eb's got me ju- <laughs> <laughs> Eb's got me juiced up. Guess I'm on creatine and Zimni. <laughs> And the methylene blue. Fucking new traps. <laughs> um, shit. No, dude, it's totally true. I mean, that's my thing. Because we get so programmed. We are so fucking programmed in Western civilization. You're programmed to be a victim. Yeah. More and more, dude. Every yeah. day. The more yeah. I fucking see, the weirder it gets. You need help. You're not good enough. You... <laughs> <laughs> because you're this that and the other thing yeah. you'll never right. be good you're too short you're too fat you're too fucking this you're too tall yeah it's their fault it's you, all their yeah. fault 
Kill Whitey. Yeah. I th- I've been thinking about that lately from uh, uh, from Black shit. Sheet uh-huh. with Chris Farley and David Spade. One of my, uh, I mean, grew up oh, on yeah, Chris yeah. Farley. Oh, in Black Sheep, he gets stoned with the Rastas backstage <laughs> at the MTV Rock the Vote thing, and he ends up on the stage, and he's like, you gotta fight for your right to vote, and this crowd is like, ah. yeah. and then all of a sudden he looks over and he sees his buddies, and he's like, kill Whitey, and the whole place goes silent, and the Rastas are like, no! no. Today, that would be, everybody would be like, yeah! Holy shit. Kill the fucking white man! Oh, fuck. It's hilarious uh, to see that evolution unfold. But so, getting back to this book, man, it's really powerful because there's so many themes happening in here. Pain, bloodshed, violence, surrender. Old world meets the new world. Is civilization possible? Because how how could that... What? So you're someone who says what an atrocity it is that America or white settlers did that to the natives and destroyed their land and their whole way of life and being. So what is the answer? How because the the land that you literally stand on and the comfort that you are so secure in would not be possible and could not exist had it not gone down this way. Yeah. What is the alternative? What would be the alternative? You you fucking you build a gate around their community and treat them like zoo animals and say, "Hey guys, you get to do whatever you want in in here, but you're not allowed out. Like, yeah. that doesn't make sense. Well, they bit the apple. Right. The apple's been bitten. And so, Ancient. Yeah, wow. That's really interesting, man. That's really interesting. They bit the apple. Um, and I'm not, you know, I don't know. I mean, some people might hear this and you might go, oh, you're an apologist. You're an apologist. Look, dude, this is what we have before us. We're in this big, we have this big thing going on of rewriting history. And I heard this fucking guy say it yesterday, like all, all history is, should be understood, but not all history should be celebrated. And I vibe with that. Why the fuck do we celebrate anything? Why, like, why is it about, we're not like, you can't. This country doesn't exist if it wasn't for our forefathers who wrote this thing. And say whatever you want. Oh, look at this trippy background. Never seen that before. Mm. Say what you want about Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, George Washington, John Hancock. These fucking guys who came up with this thing. Perhaps Thomas Paine, who actually wrote the Declaration of Independence. Whatever you want to say about it. You want to say they were all slave owners and scumbags, but at the end of the day, all men are created equal. The spirit and the essence of that statement alone transcends any skin color you could imagine or that those guys were thinking about. If you want to say, oh, well, they weren't talking about the blacks, the browns, the this, the that. 
whatever you want to say about it. All men are created equal. Let's not change up what was said. What was said what was, is what was said and written and engraved in the soul of this country. This country was set up as a spiritual beacon of freedom. That's what it was set up as. Yes, there's been a lot of highs and lows, a lot of pain, a lot of fuck-ups, a lot of mistakes. But at the end of the day, that's the essence. That's the spiritual essence of America is all men are created equal. Every soul has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This shit was founded on alchemical truths, universal principles of reality. These guys were were not fucking around when they came here and set this shit up. You know, we get this whole story of Christopher Columbus. Dude, they don't even know. There's no historical evidence of where Christopher Columbus was even from. Historians can't nail down if he was a fucking a fucking Italian prince, a Greek a Greek sailor, a fucking Spanish merchant. No one even knows. And he wasn't even the first guy to come here. The ancient Greeks came here way before that. And they called this place the blessed land. Because they knew, if you take this back, if you believe in Atlantis, which I absolutely do. Atlantis was the, it was the archetypal society. It was the archetypal land, which was destroyed through the human aspects of greed and all the shit we're seeing today, which has destroyed every civilization for all time, our victimhood, our indulgence in complete decadence and luxury. We became unable to speak about things and communicate. We became just so wrapped up in the material and the greed that we destroy ourselves. We've done it time and time again. We'll do it now. You're, you're seeing it happen right before our eyes. The beautiful part is, as many cycles as we go through on this game that we play, called life, called human civilization, we're getting more and more tuned in. Yeah, we're getting we're tapping deeper and deeper back into the source because you can only do the same thing so many times before you realize what's working and what's not working. Yeah. And with the beauty, whatever, again, whatever you want to think about it, the Internet, social media, etc. This shit can't hide anymore. Yeah, it's a beauty. We have a president who can't speak, who doesn't answer questions. You can't hide, brother. White House press press secretary like you can't you can't pretend about what the truth is anymore. The information is all out there. <laughs> There's no getting around it. You know? And so bringing it back to this story, Quanta Parker, why was he was so this guy was so fucking incredible. He goes on to a mountaintop. He's seeing, he's in a life, basically he's in a lifetime battle against this one uh, general in particular. Sewell, right? Sewell? Well, Sewell killed his father, Peter. 
No, it was after Sewell. It was, what was this guy's name? This dude's name. Um, not hate, not coffee. No, Jack Coffee Hayes. He was the he was the brilliant Texas Ranger who revolutionized how they were fighting. This guy was the Rangers are a really interesting. The Rangers story too. are incredible. The Rangers were originally just like a completely ragtag criminal. Yeah, they were maniacs. fucking messy, fucking just gnarly, bearded cowboys, white, cowboys that white guys that. Hell bent had on nothing death. to lose and just wanted uh, wanted some adventure. Reynold McKenzie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sly, he, Slidell. Yeah, Reynold Slidell McKenzie. He was really the guy who he he was just he was the white equivalent of Quana in his leadership and his warriorhood. Yeah. of how he believed they would defeat the Comanches and take the territory. And he had a ton of respect for Quana. But so Quana, he sees this thing happening. He's starting to see it all unfold, like the the technology he's coming up against now. And they would still, like, even in the with the repeating rifles and the and the whites learning how to fight on horseback, they would still outgun them and outhorse them and make them look like fools over and over again. But Kwana could see how they were starting to be overtaken. Yeah. Just more and more, slowly but surely, all the all the various bands of the Comanches were being overtaken and surrendering to the, the reservation life. And so Kwana goes up on this mountaintop, this mesa, and he meditates. And you heard about this, right? It's in the book. Yeah, it's in the book. Yeah, uh-huh. And in his meditation, a wolf comes to him. Mm. An eagle comes to him first. Mm-hmm. And he said that was seeing this thing from a new perspective, being brought to this new height, being set free from his old way of thinking. And then a wolf came, a lone wolf came into his meditation. And he said the wolf walked in the direction of the reservation and he took that as a sign that it was time to surrender. Mm. And so Quana really took it upon himself to be a bridge between his people right. and the government. Right. And did everything he could to sort of make it work and you know, he he sort of saw the writing on the wall, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating to me about Quana which he just he just barely touches. He dips his toes into it. But Kwana really was a medicine man. Mm. And he would do these peyote ceremonies. Mm. And that's what he became known as mm. later in his life. Mm-hmm. And he built this incredible home on the reservation yeah. that everyone from like Teddy Roosevelt to all sorts of people came to visit him and right. sit with him. Right. He had like eight wives. Yeah. That was part of his ne- never. He never surrendered certain aspects of his his tradition, right? Which was the the polygamy, having multiple wives, and he never cut his hair. Yeah, he always kept his hair long, and he kept a picture, a photo, the only photo ever taken of his mother with his sister, that where his mother was breastfeeding his his baby sister. Yeah. And uh, he kept that with him throughout throughout his life. And uh, 
I just thought that was so profound, man, how he came to that and became a, a bridge for his people, you know, right. successfully or not. He organized a buffalo hunt. He went to the, the people who oversaw the reservation. I mean, at the end of the day, they were fucking prisoners on this reservation. But he went and he was like, hey, we would really appreciate to go and do a buffalo hunt. And this was sort of the end of it all. Right, right. And they allowed him to take a group on horseback and go do a buffalo hunt. And what they found was just fucking miles and miles of bleached bones and rotting buffalo carcasses. And this was part of, you know, the fucking buffalo hunters, man, came in and just were exterminating buffalo, killing millions of buffalo a year. Yeah. And they couldn't believe, Quanah couldn't believe it. He was like, there's no fucking way. And they went for miles and miles and went to this, went to this old, they made their way all the way to this old landmark, which was at this, this river. Mm -hmm. And he just, he couldn't believe how all the buffalo were dead. There was no more buffalo. And in SC Gwynn really talks about how that was, that was kind of the nail in the coffin of being completely their whole way of life being completely destroyed. Yeah. You know, and seeing the end of that. Right. Um, but Kwana went on to be like, it talks about, I, I don't know who he was working with, but he would travel and go all around the country doing peyote ceremonies with people. Right. I don't know who that was with, but he died after a long trip. Uh huh. He was pretty old. He died in like 1912 or something like that. Yeah, he, you know, he he transitioned. He evolved from being, yes, a absolute warrior, an enigma of blood, to an enigma of love. Yeah, and at what point is that? How how long are do we need to draw the fear paradigm and the victim paradigm out? in our culture today until we become um, a paradigm of love. Mm. And, you know, Eb and I have been talking about the media. Um, be really careful. You know, there's a reason the great teachers don't have televisions. Be really conscious and I don't mean to sound, I don't, I'm not trying to tell anybody to do anything. I'm no, just saying, fuck that. Be, Say it. be really conscious of the media you're watching. Ugh. The media for not even, I, I'm not even going to say it's their fault. It's just the paradigm they're in. Right. The media promotes a paradigm of fear. Be really conscious when you're if you're watching television even if you're scrolling instagram be really conscious the vibration of media that you're taking in it's deeply affecting and it and it and it creates patterns on the brain right behind your eyes it's creating patterns be really conscious of the vibrations speak to high vibrational people Mm. What read high vibrational stories. There's another reason the great teachers, the books they read are written by high, by high vibrational beings. 
at a certain point, you can't even you can't even uh, participate in the lower, even the medium to low vibe media. I can't watch television anymore. We've talked about this. Yeah. Uh, if I'm watching a game, I have to like just watch the game, and almost that is so commercialized now, where I can barely watch the game. Yeah, it's a bummer. Actually, so, I've been thinking that it's a bummer that sports are becoming such a oh the, the Super Bowl was corporate, was insane. Oh God, you couldn't even nauseating. Like, and there was subtle imagery. But bringing this back to Quana, you know, being a bridge of love. Where, but but see, like you're saying, Eb, that's really profound, though. What you're saying because that really that boils it down to exactly what he was. You know, he went from the warrior to the love. Yeah, but I also want to talk about how you were saying there's this trajectory where shit is messy. And like you're saying, we couldn't have gotten here. You know, when there's all these like microcosms of the trajectory, there's like, oh, this person's trajectory, this thing's trajectory of like. You know, you can't really take a trip without things happening in the trip to get to where you want to be, which is, I think, the high, which is, you know, the goal is the highest evolution or the highest incarnation of the trip. And um, I believe that's what we're moving toward today. Mm. You know, it's like stop perpetuating the paradigm where the cop kills the person. Why not perpetuate the paradigm where the cop and the person hug each other? Because that's the paradigm we want. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we want. Yeah. That's the whole, that's what the song, that's what's under, that's the subtext of the song. Right. That's the subtext of the story. I want to be hugged and loved. But if you're pe- on all sides, yes, on all sides, of course. But if you're perpetuating, see, in the media, the media is a drama. The media is a drama and illusion machine. Yeah. The ratings stop when the love starts. Mm. Love that. So true. So true. Am I too heavy here? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I, I'm just trying you know I'm no, trying dude. to bring it back down not to at re- all. relevancy not at all. and no man it's so right on the Gucci belt I can't have enough Gucci belts well it's just you know the whole thing is it's a it's fascinating you know it's all as above so below as below so above The microcosm is the macrocosm is the macrocosm is the microcosm. Because, you know, it goes into all that shit. Like, when, who's the person to put the sword down? Exactly. Exactly. Who's, who's going to be the person who, who stops the bloodshed? Exactly. Who's going to be the person, like, when, when do we stand up and go, you know what? There's been enough of that. Right. Well, we have those throughout history. We have Gandhi. We have MLK. 
We have Ram Das. So we have Marley. You know, so we have these people, and I think they are, you know, we need, and this is interesting to me because it's like we've had all these people. Why hasn't it stopped yet? Is it ever going to stop, or is it like you said, we're just moving toward it, and it requires just more and more unfolding? Well, it seems so chaotic and crazy and static to me now that it feels like we're getting to an end point. And maybe that is a direct result of technology and the access and the speed of information so it's finally like i said there's nowhere to go anymore there's nowhere to run you can't avoid it you can't nothing can be unacknowledged right and i think all of that is really relevant because of this whole thing of cancel culture, which when did this emerge? When did this cancel culture shit start? Like 10 years ago? With the, Was it the beginning of social media? And the thing remember. with cancel culture is, so you're going to, you're going to criticize and say that this person, you're canceling this person or whatever, right? Usually, it appears to me that the the ones doing the canceling are usually the ones too afraid to to live their life or to be out in the open or to who have never really done anything or just hide behind a a, a fucking anonymous handle on the internet. Yeah, but I think there's quote unquote celebrities canceling other celebrities. That's interesting. So in that, in regards to all of it, so when you're saying that someone is canceled, are you saying that you have lived such a squeaky clean, clear life that you're completely infallible? I don't know, brother. <laughs> like. That's not going to work. You know, you can't, we can't, it's just impossible. And so when you look at the history of the world. So it all, because it wasn't all buttercups and champagne flutes, I like that right now, (laughs) because it wasn't all buttercups and champagne flutes and rainbows and shit. It's another shirt. It's like, (laughs) it's not all buttercups and champagne flutes. So because it wasn't all of that and crystal clean and and nice and tidy and sweet and serene, because it wasn't all that, we can't accept it as ever having happened or we can't allow it to be taught or or learned about or discussed. Like, it just doesn't, like, that is not life. Life is the yin and the yang. It's the darkness and the light. And what you said, what was so profound to me earlier, which I've never heard this as part of the Kali Yuga, which if I've heard some things say that the Kali Yuga, which is the total destruction time of darkness epoch. So these are like epochs. The Yugas are the epochs. They're, they're thousands and thousands of years long. And we've been in the Kali Yuga for a long time. Mm-hmm. And apparently it ends 2024. I've heard that through some of the things I've listened to and read 
But you said the Kali Yuga is when the light and the dark become one. And that was fucking mind-blowing to me. And you see that right now with everything happening because it's like, you know, and and that's part of the, I've also heard a lot of the spiritual, spiritual people who I really like right now. Paul Check is one of them. Paul Check is a profound spiritual teacher. Hmm. He's brilliant. He talks about how we're in the temper tantrum period. Mm -hmm. Like everything's a fucking temper tantrum because we're Mm -hmm. in this like adolescent, adolescent stage of our conscious evolution. Mm. And I see that with everything happening because it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. The victimhood shit is not sustainable. You, you have felt that in your life as an individual if you're someone who has crossed through that portal to start taking accountability for your life. I remember for a long time I was in the victim fucking mindset. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's difficult to, to see your way out of that because of the culture that we're brought in up in, especially here in America. Media. Even if you're a tough motherfucker, dude, who comes from a really long line of very high level thinking people you could still get trapped in the in the victimhood shit yeah i mean just yesterday i was in i was going down i I told you about this earlier it was really fascinating watching myself spiral into the feeling sorry for myself pity shame bullshit of feeling like i'm spinning my tires doing all this stuff and not really seeing anything come of it and behind all of that, behind that spiraling, behind that narrative was this voice going, Eb, have you lost faith in everything you're doing? <laughs> Is it just about having money? Because if it's about the money, brother, why don't you go get a job? Go get a fucking job. You need to make the money? Is that the thing that's, that you're shame spiraling about on yourself? Go get a job then. I'm like, no, that's not it. Have you lost faith in what you're doing? No, I still have faith that I'm exactly where I need to be and what I'm doing. Then what you're doing is you're just playing a game. You're playing a role with yourself of the little artist who's up against the world and hasn't had, you know, this shit come to fruition the way you always dreamed of it. Yeah. So when I went there, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. That doesn't make it any less challenging, but at least it gives you the perspective of this is an illusion perpetuated by old programming that has nothing to do with my actual belief system that I live my life by. You know, so if you're anybody who has taken that leap, who's stepped through the portal of taking accountability and responsibility for yourself and your life, You see, you see how, how the world really revolves around that game, you know, and we're held down by that game. We're held down by the victim game, you know, and it's like, at what point do we take accountability for our lives and do we fucking put the sword down? I always think it's so profound in movies when the hero, you know, when I was a little kid, I used to be 
angry or pissed off if the hero didn't like kill the villain. But really, that's the most heroic act. Mm, oh yeah, walking away, yeah, or something. Like Surrendering that. mercy, mm-hmm. yeah. putting the sword down, even to the point where it's like, "You might kill me." Me putting my sword down might mean that you kill me. But you know what? I've seen through the veil that one of us at some point has to put the sword down to end this shit. Right. Well, to me, the beauty of 12-step programs, 12-step work, you know, you look at something like Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous is not just to get you to stop drinking alcohol. As much as it's about getting you to stop drinking alcohol, it's to help you have a spiritual experience and have a relationship with God. And as they say in, in, 12, and, and in Al-Anon, 12 Steps, NA, AA, whatever it is, your higher power, your God can be whatever you want as long as there's something greater than you. But I bring, But for me, what's so beautiful about 12-step work is that now you live in the solution. It's like, oh, okay, we're here. Now what? Now what? And if you're really living that 12-step life, mm. you can't not live in the solution. Mm. You're not. You're back in your shit. You're back in your shit. So now it's conscious. And uh, uh, you know now you're consciously staying in your shit. So I think the more people develop a spiritual program... A spiritual life. It's go. It's all, and which is beautiful about the the state we're in, where you're saying you can't hide anymore. Because when you can't hide, you go in. Mm. Yeah. When you can't hide, you go in and you start to listen. And the still small voice is not so small anymore. So, where's the solution there? Then it's putting the sword down. Yeah. Then it's love and being open because you know that the attacking and, and that shit, you know, attacking in the time period of Empire of the Summer Moon was different than now. It's like I was saying in the beginning, our drama is manufactured now. Mm. The majority of our drama is now manufactured. Okay, taxes aren't manufactured. Okay, the electricity bill is it's a, it's a thing, sure. But how do you dance with it so you're staying in the solution? Mm. And you're staying in the higher realm of it. Well, I think that's, you know, cuz David Hawkins talks about AA and 12-step programs a lot in his book, uh Power versus Force. And on top of what you said, what is the fundamental thing of 12-step programs is that you surrender and you take accountability for yourself and your life. And that's really the first step of coming into a positive state of consciousness. Yeah. Which is courage, living with courage. Yeah. Which is really powerful. And letting go. He's got this book I'm reading right now, Letting Go. I can't wait to do that. The Pathway of Surrender. Look how beautiful that is. That totally lines up with what you just said. Yeah. 
surrendering. And what Kwana did. Kwana had yeah. the and and not you know in surrender we have this like really oh well that's just a word oh, we could do God. a pod, we could do a podcast on Whoa, that Whoa, brother I mean, that's not even that that word has just been so fucked surrender is such a word so of weakness in our culture isn't it wow it's so bastardized that and just hit me in the face just ridiculous what we've done to that word oh my God brother in the same way the, in the same way what we've done to the word God. Mm-hmm. In the same way we've done, like even feeling the space of saying the word God, I can feel the vibration of people going, oh my God, God, I got to hear that. What is <laughs> yeah. that? It's like this peanut butter of shit. I'm going to have to read the Bible. Move in. No, 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 baby. <laughs> it's something deeper that we, that's non-judgmental. It's free. Yeah, it's liberated. It's exactly the con- the truth, the consciousness. It's the it's the truth of consciousness that you said all men and women are created equal. Yeah, it's not some bastardization of fear. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. We don't really, you know, you don't get to interpret the reality. You know, the reality is. It's not really subjective. The truth of the universe is not subjective. It's an objective reality that we all live in. And and we don't really get to manipulate that and distort it to suit our arguments. That's just, that's not really how it works. I want to read this thing he has in Letting Go. Okay, wait. Or should we just save Let's it? Let's wrap. Should we save it? I mean, I think we should do that. We should do that. Yeah, yeah. Next. Okay. Because it's kind of long. He goes through the hierarchy of uh, oh my God. the stages of what Let's it, please do that. He gets, he, you know, you get a fender bender and the different stages of consciousness you're at, how you react to it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's wonderful. All right. You ready for this? Yeah. I'm going to read the last paragraph of this book this book empire of the summer moon so it's a profound text guys i highly recommend it it's a beautiful book it's a transformative book there's it's so rich there's so much in it that is relevant for right now and kwana parker is really one of my become one of my heroes after reading it no idea who he was before it in spite of his success and his eventual triumph over his rivals, Kwana's life was never easy. He had to fight to keep prosecutors away from his peyote cult. As he got older, he had marital troubles. Several of his wives ended up leaving him, perhaps because of his growing financial problems. And he struggled constantly with poli- political rivals in the tribe, including the old medicine quack Isatai who never gave up in his quest to become the principal chief of the Comanches, and the Kiowa Lone Wolf, with whom he once had a fistfight over a boundary dispute. Charges made by Lone Wolf's Kiowa faction aligned with Isatai, in fact, led to a federal investigation of the agency in 1903. That's the, um, the Native American agency who was, oversaw all of this stuff with the tribes in the West. The federal agent who investigated one Francis E. Layup 
not only concluded that Quana and the agent had done nothing wrong, he had this to say about Quana. If ever nature stamped a man with the seal of headship, she did it in his case. Quana might have been a leader and a governor in any circle where fate might have cast him. It is in his blood. His acceptability to all but an inconsiderable minority of his people is plain to any observer, and even those who are restive under his rule recognize its supremacy. He has his followers under wonderful control, but on the other hand looks out for them like a father. The contrast could not be greater with his more famous neighbor Geronimo, who had been relocated to Fort Sill from Alabama in 1894. Unlike Quana, he attracted no crowds and few visitors. That's part of the thing. Quana, people just came to see him because they couldn't believe who this guy was. Though he was a genius at self-advertising and made a lot of money selling his signatures, bows and arrows and such, he reportedly died with $10,000 in his bank account. That's Geronimo. He was not well liked in Indian country. Hugh Scott, an officer at Fort Sill and a great friend to Indians, described him as an unlovely character, a cross-grained, mean, selfish old curmudgeon. He drank and liked to gamble and died from injuries he received by falling off his horse while drunk. The two men's legacies stand very much in contrast even in death. Geronimo is buried in the Apache Cemetery in Fort Sill, whose address happens to be 437 Quana Road. Quana never forgot his mother. He kept the photograph Sewell Ross gave him, the one taken in 1862 at A.F. Corning's studio in Fort Worth, with prairie flower nursing at her breast on the wall above his bed. I mean, Quana was just... Beautiful. Unbelievable, Incredible man. life. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, yeah, brother. All right, next. next. So that was a... Uh, that's a mind-expanding, heart-expanding book right there, y'all. Yeah. <clears throat> Next time we'll hit... I, I'd love to hit Letting Go. I mean, we... Yeah. You know. Well. Um, incredible pod, bro. Yeah, it's great to be on here. It's great to, uh, you know, be part of the community. It's a perfect day to grow. And um, amen and namaste, everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, grateful to be here. I love you absolutely love that Gus thank you thank you for joining me it's great I feel really grateful that you're my brother that we we're on this journey together through this life well that's about it y'all I greatly appreciate all of you thank you so much for your support subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen Apple Spotify etc I don't even know how it works anymore (laughs) rate it review it all that share it with your friends and family you can also support me in this show on patreon at patreon.com forward slash eds britain that's all in the show notes lots of love to you guys i hope this finds you in your highest greatness for the greatest good of the universe lots of love to all of you and your families i'll see you all on the flip side peace <laughs>